Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg and coming up on Backstory today. For more than a decade, the 100-story building has been helping young people find their voice as storytellers. And one of their new projects, the Story Hub, which aims to promote creativity and critical thinking, particularly in marginalised neighbourhoods, recently launched a pilot program at Meadows Primary School. I'll be joined by 100-story building program manager Simon Conlon and two very special guests, young writers Cleo from Meadows Primary, who will read the stories they've written. That will all be coming up later in the hour, but soon Ness and Hetty wash up in Toronto. Close friends since childhood, things have changed since Hetty's tumultuous relationship ended in the worst possible way, but the trip meant to bring them closer increasingly sets them apart and Ness must face her complicated feelings for her friend who seems set on a path of self-destruction. A story of deep friendship, sexuality, love and the deepest heartbreak, Cherry Beach is a quietly powerful new novel, the first by author Laura McPhee-Brown. Laura will join me to talk about her book very, very soon. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You're listening to Triple R. The show is Backstory. I'm Mel Cranenberg. We arrived on a Tuesday. I can remember that. I can remember Hetty's hand in mine as we moved slowly down the steps of the escalator, as if standing completely still would have been harder than moving. Ness and Hetty wash up in Toronto, close friends since childhood. Things have changed since Hetty's tumultuous relationship ended in the worst possible way. But the trip meant to bring them closer increasingly sets them apart. And Ness must face her complicated feelings for her friend, who seems set on a path of self-destruction. And so begins Cherry Beach, a quietly powerful new novel by first-time author... Laura McPhee-Brown and Laura joins me in the studio now. Laura, welcome to Backstory. Thanks, Mel. I was just saying to you off air that that one of the the things that uh, I find extraordinary about a book, um, particularly a first novel uh, by someone, um, is just when it feels so assured. It feels like the voice of someone who has written a lot. And I was saying to you, you know, have you written a lot? And you're like, I've read a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about that because that doesn't always, it's not always a natural relationship, is it? Many writers, of course, in fact, all writers that I've spoken to have been big readers. But did you really feel like that's where you started to hone your craft? Well, yeah, because I I don't think I ever really thought I'd be a writer. So I just always loved reading. Um, And about, I guess about six or seven years ago, I started um, trying to write. Um, So I'm 35. So it was in my late, very late 20s. 
and I just really enjoyed it and kind of had had probably written a tiny bit when I was younger but never ever thought I would actually do anything about it and yeah so I think it's more just that I've just always read like a lot so that's always been my main hobby reading. Now this book really does capture a time of life for this um, young woman Ness who is you know I kind of you don't exactly say uh, her age but you sort of gather she's in her sort of early 20s Um, you know things have kind of really been uh, you know you've just come out of childhood at this stage and, you know, relationships that have really been important in those kind of formative years start to sort of pull apart and you're sort of really landing at that moment which will feel very familiar to Mm. pretty much everyone, I imagine, especially people who've had those incredibly close relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ness and Hetty's relationship is further complicated by the fact that Ness is very clearly in love with her friend Mm -hmm. uh, who doesn't reciprocate her feelings in that way. Um, But on top of that, it's also clear that Hetty, there's a lot going on under the surface that her very, very close friend really doesn't know about. I want to talk about why you've decided to kind of really set off uh, at this point point in time uh, I do feel like it's one of those books that I was I was saying to someone it's that kind of classic 20 something book but it's written with such a sense of perspective um, so talk to me yeah. about why you decided yeah. to kind of set things at that point I don't know that I decided to but I think it might have happened because um, well Ness I, I ended up my editor and I decided we had to really work out exactly how old Ness and Hetty were because I didn't necessarily have an idea of their exact age and so they're they're actually around 26 in the book and I think that happened because my mid to late 20s or my 20s were when I learned a lot about myself it was it's always probably going to be a really important time in my life I lived with close friends um and so I think I just was drawn to write about that time because it just so much happened for me. Whereas in my early 20s, I think I was just, I wasn't even aware of what was going on really. But as I got a, further into my 20s, I started to kind of uh, in some parts understand what was happening. And then um, it came that she, that Ness was writing the book from a few years later so she's sort of not writing the book but reflecting on things um from a few years later and I think that was helpful because I could um then write with a little bit more perspective and and not so completely embroiled in what was happening because um I think that would have been a very different book so yeah yeah I don't want to give away too much about the book, but it's quite a sort of gentle beginning. Like you really do have, you know, there's a, a real sense of um, like an almost visceral experience of being in in sort of Ness's body. She is quite withdrawn in, in many ways. She's sort of an observer, that mm. classic writer type, I guess, in yeah. in a sense. Yeah. But I, I do really love um, the sort of gentle and and sort of slightly um, idiosyncratic descriptions that she has, Mm -hmm. particularly of, you know, uh, her friend Hetty, who's, you know, she describes her sort of physicality in terms of like how her face kind of crinkles up or, you know, other people she sort of describes, you know, you know, there's describes them in terms of movements or she has this odd description for a woman that she um you know becomes attracted to who uh, has a kidney bean eyes Mm. I think but manages (laughs) to make that sound like a really attractive quality (laughs) 
yeah. I, I want to talk about this because it's really these are quite extraordinary descriptions. They they were at once you know sort of unique um, and gave you a, a kind of fresh voice, but didn't feel forced in any way. How did you arrive at, at this kind of um, perspective mm. on things? I don't, not quite sure, but I think um, I just enjoy kind of. Um, writing slightly strange um, comparisons to things and um, I guess like I've I've probably done that quite a bit in my short stories that I wrote before I started writing the book Um, and also I guess it's really enjoyable to write a character of a protagonist like Ness for me and I think for a lot of writers because she is so observant Um, she's not fully participating in life a lot of the time and therefore you can actually um, – she's watching and so you can really take a lot from that and write what she's watching because she's watching so carefully. Yeah, so I think that's probably part of it. I just um, really tried to inhabit that kind of watchful character. Yeah, and you sort of look – there's, you know, the the way she describes Hetty sort of, you know, gives you, I guess because she has these kind of very um, simple descriptions of her friend that that sort of don't give away too much, that sort of oblique nature of someone who you're both very, very close to and and becoming more removed is really entrenched because here's someone she's known since childhood that really feels like it's her, the person that's closest to her and yet you really don't know very much about Hetty's interior life at all. Mm. They don't seem to talk very mm-hmm. much about things either, which I find really <laughs> sort of both inc- wonderfully and, you know, sort of heartbreaking but incredibly moving as well. There's one moment where it's very clear that they should really be talking about things, about their changing relationship, about this truly devastating thing that's happened to uh, Hetty um, that really doesn't seem to be getting discussed at all Mm. but it's clearly had some effect on her um, and also Ness's strong feelings for her friend Mm. that they've, you know, that she feels like she's hiding but is very apparent to literally (laughs) everyone as as becomes case Mm. so do you feel like that that you know in some ways that Ness was this perfect vehicle for for sort of showing that that kind of you know the weird paradox of the person you're closest to is often the person you know the least yeah I think yeah definitely in a way I probably was drawn to write writing a character like Ness because she um again is so like not completely engaged in her own life but I think also that the um when you grow up with someone and you're close from it or you're friends from a young age, you, you might not learn how to communicate with each other in a, in a mature and kind of um, sophisticated way, I guess. And um, so I think I, that just sort of happened with, with those two because when I was writing them as little girls together, you know, they, they talked in a certain way as little girls and, and it just – felt like maybe part of them never really got beyond that point and also with Nessa's love like real deep love for Hetty part of her could never put herself out there completely even though they had agreed that they were best friends it's almost like they couldn't always enact that 
that closeness or something yeah absolutely look if you've just joined us you're listening to backstory on triple r i'm mel cranenberg and i'm talking to author laura mcphee brown uh, whose first novel is just out now cherry beach it's a really quite beautiful sort of meditative book that's on you know the changing nature of a friendship that really is about to kind of tip over into something different um and you know the kind of changing nature of relationships in your 20s um, when you're sort of really solidifying into a new type of person or really finding yourself and your voice um, in a more solid way. I sort of, you know, this is in a way a, a experience that many people have had of being in a, a new city and I sort of like that it's uh, Toronto that you picked and the two women at the heart of this are from Melbourne um, and you probably have picked a city that's about as close to, <laughs> to Melbourne in some mm. ways and as distant so it's it's yeah. almost as though they've sort of transferred themselves to a place that is both familiar and unfamiliar um, in the oddest of ways so it gives <laughs> you that slightly sort of uh, I guess a sense of the weird because you know you feel like you should know something but actually you don't Mm. um, because it's not the place you're meant to arrive at it's a wonderful Mm. metaphor there are other metaphors in this book particularly those of water um, and I want to discuss that because that is a a feature in many writers um, from our land you know our island continent Um, (laughs) can you talk a little bit about the the imagery of water in this book yeah well yeah you're right actually you're probably um water's something I think about a lot because we're surrounded by it in Australia and um, to get anywhere else you have to fly over water or cross over water Um, and I guess yeah that that's always present for me but um, when I so I lived in Toronto for a couple of years a little while ago and um, yeah I've spoken about this before in other interviews but um, I, I just couldn't believe that um, when I looked out onto Lake Ontario that it wasn't the ocean the way I knew the ocean and that it was a lake and just couldn't really understand that because it just looked so vast and um, obviously it's a great lake and it's very big um, and it's it's just not a it wasn't a lake the way I understood what a lake was and so that was just so present for me when I was living there and um, I think also yeah things I guess like water is just so metaphorical in itself because it it it's moving it's it it it's constantly changing and um you can't keep it still it's it's kind of yeah so that that was really um kind of this the same way that that Ness is her life's moving her relationship with Hetty is moving she can't stop that but she doesn't really know how to completely go with that flow. Mm. I think at yeah. one stage you you describe it as, you know, Hetty sort of, um, you know, they're sitting beside Lake Ontario um, and Hetty sort of, you know, puts her head on Ness's shoulder and, you know, it's as though she's trying to reassure her that it's a gentle shift in the mm-hmm. currents or words to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt as though it's like so many of the formative things in this book, so many of the pivotal scenes really happen around water. Um, and, you know, you sort of get that sense of, you know, water both kind of being representative of the broader sort of, you know, currents of life, that adulthood that's, hood that's about to take them, but also the inherent danger of that, mm. especially to, you know, young women kind of coming into their own um, there are a few scenes uh, in here um, that sort of touch on that, on some of the sort of, you know, hidden things that, that Hetty has experienced because to Ness she's this 
a fabulous creature that that really just has the hacks for life like she's beautiful Mm. she's you know she's got this sort of effortless sort of looping grace um and everyone seems drawn to her um Mm. but she you know doesn't maybe no one uh, the tragedy of Hetty in many ways is that no one really sees her including Mm. her very closest friend yeah can you tell me about the character of Hetty a bit more because she is that that great mystery at the heart of the book yeah I I think I wanted her to be quite to be a mystery because um I think sometimes when even when we're very close to people you just don't you, you you don't necessarily know them at all and and I think also um it it can be very hard as a young woman to 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 really understand who you are and there's all this talk of you know you know getting to know yourself and understanding who you are but how do you do that and um there's so many things attacking you all the time that that change how you might see yourself and I think particularly if a young woman's you know very attractive or beautiful that can further um take away from her being able to understand who she is at her core because she's constantly having to um fight off things and she's really constantly in danger um so yeah I I felt I feel like Hetty's was very lost and comes from a big family which I think I wanted to do that because I think she um, was lost within her family as well um, and didn't really understand her parents and there was no time to really have close relationships with them and therefore um, I think she didn't understand herself within that context either. Um, yeah, I think in, in the end I, I think Hetty is is actually a lot more lost and a lot more sad and a lot more... Um, anxious and misunderstood than Ness is, even mm. though Ness never really saw it, sees it, or didn't see it that way up until you know they mm. right at the end of the book. Yeah, so and I do look. I mean, I without going into too much detail, certainly many of the issues touched upon include things like mental illness and you know and a kind of like. You know, confusion about sexuality or understanding of it, and I'm wondering, you you work as a social worker, and how much of this is kind of drawn from observation or your own experience of, you know, of how people experience these things? Because you're not doing it in a very extreme way; you're sort of describing this, you know, in a kind of quite gentle way that that you know that can feel um, it. It just feels very real. Um, so I'm wondering, where have you kind of drawn these things? Yeah, from? well. I- my first job as a social worker was at um, Hanover, which is now called Launch. It's amalgamated into an um, organisation called Launch Housing. But I worked in um, their crisis accommodation facility in South Bank and um, had clients that were living in these this six-week crisis accommodation and also um, longer-term clients who were living in the community um, with addiction issues and mental illness. But a lot of the people that I worked with who were coming through the crisis accommodation had diagnosis diagnoses of um, schizophrenia, um, bipolar, um, were actually having experiencing psychosis when I was working with them. Um, I guess you would say treatment resistant psychosis that they weren't able to. Um, yeah, they were 
having psychotic episodes when I was working with them. So it was, yeah, I think I just experienced that um, kind of as I was going about my life but also coming in and out of these people's lives who were, I guess, in the medical sense very unwell um, and unable to kind of like they were living in crisis accommodation they were homeless um but there was a softness and a kindness to the way we worked with people there that I really loved and um and such a a, a, the people I worked with really kind of modeled for me a fondness for for just humanity that I really kind of loved and have tried to take with me throughout all my other jobs so even though the people there you know in in a lot of senses were at the edge of their lives and so so in danger of of dying or be or you know just at such high risk so vulnerable um we could have beautiful times with them within their days you know at, at breakfast or jokes at the counter and yeah so it 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 felt like you could um still have a gentle kind of um yeah relationship with people who are not not well in the classic sense I guess yeah you really do sort of feel some of those those kind of experiences wound into this book um I'm wondering is there any chance you might do a short reading from the book um do you have one prepared or shall I no I don't yeah but (laughs) um even just to give people a little um bit of a sense of things uh perhaps um just from yeah the the middle of that page to the the final page Yep, so are you... Yeah, around there. Sure. Hetty was lying on her back on the towel, which she had brought with her from Melbourne, the one that I had seen her dry herself with after swimming since we were young. It was tattered around the edges, but intact in a way it really shouldn't have been after so long. Her legs were bent, one crossed over the other, one skinny foot hanging free. I'm sorry I haven't been around much, she said. I told her it was okay. It was okay, now that she had acknowledged that it wasn't really. That was all I needed. I was partly weak, partly docile, partly aware of how much I still needed her. She wouldn't be pushed away easily, but I didn't want to try. I believed we had decided to come to Canada together because we were both invested in our friendship, despite my feelings, which she knew nothing about, and that since we had been here, she had neglected it. I also knew that it wasn't deliberate, this neglect. It wasn't purposeful. How are you anyway, she asked, studying my face for a few seconds. When Hetty looked at you, it was like she was right there with you, like you weren't alone. I'm fine, I answered in a voice she could have questioned for its quaver. Good, she said, smiling at me as if she believed it. That's so good to hear. Later I would wonder what it would be like if Hetty and I had a different kind of friendship or if we were different people, the kind who laid it all out and hoped for the best. I had been hurt and I hadn't been okay, not really, but I didn't tell her. I didn't want to ask more of her, to tie her down, and I didn't want a reaction. Instead we questioned gently her first and then me and didn't try to tether each other. It suited us both, suited our passivity and our fear. But our friendship hadn't grown in years. We ended the day silently on the ferry back to Marjorie 
our hair damp from a long swim in the lake water. Hetty held my hand occasionally and put her chin and then her ear on my shoulder as the water moved beneath us. I could feel her hanging on. We both wanted to be each other's person, but our bodies were moving apart. She seemed to need me to know it was just a brief change in the current. Thank you so much. Uh, That was an excerpt of the wonderful Cherry Beach um, from Laura McPhee-Brown. Laura, thank you so much for joining me today on Backstory. Pleasure. Thank you. That was Laura McPhee-Brown and uh, the book that uh, you were hearing about there is Cherry Beach, which is out now through text. Coming up next, a 100-story building is piloting a new program. Story Hub aims to help kids find creative ways to express themselves. And it has just kicked off at Meadows Primary. Joining me soon are 100-story building program manager Simon Conlon and two very special guests, students Cleo and Tanya. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Triple R. The show is Backstory. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Now for more than a decade, 100 Story Building has been helping young people find their voice as storytellers. And one of their new projects, the Story Hub, which aims to promote creativity and critical thinking, recently launched a pilot program at Meadows Primary School. Joining me now is 100 Story Building Program Manager Simon Conlon and two very special guests, young writers Cleo and Tana from Meadows Primary. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for having us. Hi. Hi. Hey, so this is so exciting for me to have uh, two young kind of storytellers come and join me. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you've all been doing. I understand, Cleo, that you can tell me a little bit about the program that you've all been involved with at Meadows. Yeah. Um, first thing we received was a secret note that told us we had to design a portal closer. This portal was to another world that we didn't know much about. Every student in this school, we made a creation to the portal closer. All these designs were given to the people at the Story Hub to select the best parts. The Story Hub is a writing center for our community. There's a hidden machine that you can't touch or you might die. It's <laughs> <That was> terrifying. <laughs> There's a shelf that you're not allowed to touch. Some of these things are dangerous. After you move some things in the building... The machine powers up. It's powered by students' creativity. We made some rules so you know how to use the Story Hub and keep everyone safe. You enter the, and you enter the Story Hub so you can be inspired to plan and create your own story. Wow. And uh, one of those people that's uh, trying to keep them safe, I <laughs> guess, is, um, is with us here today, Simon um, Tell us about this amazing place. Yeah, so um, Story Hubs is uh, a new project of ours where we're sort of taking a little bit of 100-storey building and placing it closer to the students and young people. So in Meadows Primary, we've taken over... um, In Meadows Primary, we've taken over... Uh, their community centre and we were just sprucing it up a little bit to make it a nice little creative writing centre whenever we found 
this sort of interdimensional portals that were converging on it. So uh, we had to try and make it as safe as possible. We haven't lost any children this year so far, so it should be fine. Goodness, that's that's great. Tana, um, you've been a part of all of this and you brought in something extra special I can see over there. And it's something that you made uh, as part of this incredible project. Do you want to do you want to tell introduce a little bit about yourself and, and what you've got with you today? So today I've got my um, story and I'd like to share it. Oh, wonderful. Would you like to share it with us now? My access point is to the future and four different worlds. One of the worlds asks you difficult questions. If you get the answer wrong, you'll be blasted with burning hot crystals. Another world travels you to the never-ending time of snow, where you can meet snow fairies, but beware. The, sn- the, fi- the evil fairy's real potential is to steal your body and become humans for all eternity. The next world journeys you to a mythical land, autumn. It's always autumn, but listen up or you will never survive. There are creatures lurking from the dark forest, and the only way to survive the creatures is to sing a dark song. The final land is where Ellie and Glitter live together, but their enemy, the vicious green Glitter, attacked them but failed because the great and powerful Ellie and Glitter bonded with the magic, magical creatures of the land and survived. Wow, that was pretty scary. Cleo, I can see your... Were you scared by that a little bit? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I wonder what song would they would have to sing to, you know, to stop them from... What What was the song? Do you have that in your mind? Because I know you two have just told me that you're pretty keen Wait. on karaoke. I yeah. think I have an idea. What, what's your idea? That's pretty creepy and <laughs> that dark. That was really creepy That's and pretty dark. creepy, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was right in there. That's really amazing. So so how have you all, because you've both done this stuff and you brought in that amazing story as well, how do you come up with stories like that? Well, we use our imagination mostly because the, the whole point of the Story Hub is to create a story with our imagination and we're supposed to get inspired by the Story Hub when you enter the Story Hub. Yeah, that's really incredible. And Tana, where did that story come from? Did you just make it up from top of your head? Well, I, I watch a lot of movies and I really like them. So I used the four different worlds from this movie, Divergent. And I used Snow Fairies from Tinkerbell. <laughs> and yeah, and then the rest I just made up. That's really great. Um, Simon, I'm really amazed at just uh, some of the stuff that, you know, Tana's kind of done in the story and Cleo's been telling me about. What, where do you think the, the Story Hub's going to go? Uh, are they going to reach out to other schools? Um, what's the plan? Yeah, so we're, we're piloting a project with uh, initially three Story Hubs um, to, across uh, Melbourne. There's one in Broadmeadows, uh, one in Sunshine, and another one out at Copperfield College across primary school and secondary schools. Um, and we're piloting this to see 
uh, what are the different methodologies that we'll use in the in the story hubs uh, and work out what's the sort of repeatable whether it works first and then what's the repeatable um, version of this because the re- the point is really sort of story hubs is a unique approach to inspiring young writers and it's really focused on um, student voice and agency and putting the power um, and control firmly in the hands of the students um, because that really engages the students uh, and then continues the sort of the momentum once we get into using our imaginations so yeah we're, we're hoping to um, spread out across Melbourne and across the world um, but one step at a time yeah if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and this show is uh, usually all about um, storytelling and the craft of writing, and quite often we have older writers who've written books that come in, but today I'm extremely happy to welcome two new writers, very new um uh, Cleo and Tana, who have joined me today as part of 100 Story Building's uh, new Story Hub project. And they're also joined by Simon Conlon, who is 100 Story Building's program manager. Um, and I really want to talk to uh, the two of you again, um, Cleo and Tana, just about the kinds of other stories that the kids might have written. Because you're here today, but I'm sure a lot of your classmates are probably listening in and um, you know, and are also pretty excited about all of this too. Cleo, what other stories did some of the kids come up with? In? Um, most of the kids came up with glitter and slime worlds. Glitter and slime worlds. Wow. Was there any uh, story in particular that kind of made you, like, scared or feel a bit icky or whatever? Um, like, there was a huge block of ice in the courtyard. Mm. Oh, okay. Wow. And I didn't really know what to do with it, so kids just started to smash it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How about you, Tana? Were there any other stories that you really liked or any other stories that surprised you? Um... One of the stories that really surprised me was um, this Zane. He's in my class, and his story was about, like, monsters trying to get in from other worlds and, like, a live glitter, slime worlds. And, like, it was, like, so it was, like, creative, and Mm. that's what I really liked about it. I'm really interested to know, did both of you kind of um, think about beforehand like what it was like for someone to write stories or were you just like more used to sort of watching them or reading them? I was used to more of like reading them because I love books. Yeah, that's kind I of never thought of like writing them. Is it kind of weird to think that that's someone's job, Tana? Not really because my sister at home, whenever we get home, um, my sister, she always just, she has this diary and then she just starts writing new stories. <laughs> does she Does she ever show you the stories from her diary? No, I just read them. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. Tana, you might be in a bit of trouble when you get home. <laughs> um, Simon, I'm, it's really exciting to hear kids kind of, you know, explore their imaginations and I'm a bit scared of a live alive glitter and slime um it's sort of interesting how do you kind of help kids to get to the point where their curiosity is sparked are you letting them sort of lead the way or do you know are there sort of prompts that help yeah so um 
the way we've discovered um, the sort of quick and easy ways into engaging students within, within their imagination is, is giving them as much control as possible, um, giving them the choices to make and, and encouraging those choices. So um, as you will well know, um, anything can be a story. Any any two ideas squished together, any starting point that leads to somewhere impossible, it can all become a story. And so any idea that's put forward is validated by us and encouraged and and questioned slightly. And, okay, wh- where would that go next? And, okay, how are we going to overcome that problem? Um, but So it's really giving a space where, where all ideas are encouraged. Um, but there's also an element of permission here. So the Story Hub, the, the control panel that we have for controlling all of the interdimensional portals um, and the massive giant map of the different portals that we have at the back of the room all give permission as soon as you walk into the space to um, almost as a cue to go, ah, oh, well, I, we're going beyond the everyday. We're going beyond what I can see here in this room. Um, and so anything far out or any strange ideas are are welcomed or encouraged you know mm-hmm. students immediately get the cue that okay this is a space i can stretch further than before um, and that's really important to us uh, to sort of jumpstart us a couple of steps down the line whenever it comes to sort of creative writing and imagination now i have to ask you claire and tana as uh, as writers um i often ask writers who come into this studio if they have any advice for any other aspiring young writers and uh cleo Maybe we'll start with you. What advice would you give young writers? I would give um, some advice to the young writers that if you write something on your paper and you think it's good, don't let anyone else say it's not good. That's great. That's great Mm -hmm. advice, actually. Tana? Um, I I would say to young writers to keep, keep writing and don't let anyone tell you that like your oh that your your story is fake oh i don't like that just keep on writing and keep on being creative that's great and do the two of you think that now you might want to grow up to be writers or do you what are no you're shaking your head no <laughs> no no what what do you think instead I, why, why not i don't because i'm not really good at typing and writing I just like to imagine stuff because I'm a big day I'm a big daydreamer in my class oh that sounds fantastic and Tana I would actually want to be an archaeologist that's great that's great digging up stuff I love it well I'm very much looking forward to um, hearing more uh, of the stories that come out of this wonderful program Uh, Simon uh Thank you so much for, for sharing some of this with me. Where can people find out more about this program if they'd like to, say, get their primary school involved or want to find out more about the 100 Story Building? Hmm. So you can go to our website, which is www.100storybuilding, which is 100 as in the number, story as in a book, and building as in a building, uh, <laughs> .org.au. And you can look up Story Hubs there. It's got a um, couple of different blog posts and a, a bit more backstory on 
um, what Story Hubs is. If you're a teacher in a school, you can uh, get in touch with us. There's a little bit more information on there. We've also got a professional development session coming up in Sunshine Primary on the 16th of March, I think. But you can get in touch for more details of that. Um, and if your school wants to be a Story Hub, get in touch. Uh, we've got we are just in the pilot. Um, area at the moment but we're hoping to expand and we're looking for partner schools who feel like uh, a project like this would really engage their students and and lift the sort of creativity and literacy within their school so get in touch it's really fantastic well i'd love to have you here for much longer but it's nearly the end of my show i'd like to thank my very excellent guests uh cleo tana and uh simon conlin um from 100 Story Building and Meadows Primary School. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's all good. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. That's been great. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was quite a, a wonderful experience um, talking to Simon Conlin, the program manager from 100 Story Building, um, T- uh, Tana and Cleo from Meadows Primary, who is sharing work created in the Story Hub project. And as Simon mentioned, uh, you can find out about this and other projects at 100100thenumeralstorybuilding.org.au. And that's kind of bringing me very close to the uh, end of the show today. It's kind of amazing how quickly time flies <laughs> in this studio. Uh, I'd like to thank my wonderful guests, Laura McPhee-Brown, author of Cherry Beach, uh, which is her brand new novel out now through text publishing. And of course, Simon Conlon from 100 Story Building and Meadows Primary Superstar Students, the amazing Tana and Cleo. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7 Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Twitter.